Welcome to the podcast channel of the East Bay Unity Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. The opinions expressed here are those of individual members and do not represent OA as a whole. For more information about our intergroup, please visit our website at eastbayoa.org. Hi, everyone. I'm Lori, Compulsive Overeater. It's really great to see everyone, as usual, every week here. Um, and welcome to Chris, newcomer, and if there's any others. Uh, so I've never written out my share, but this time I did because I was nervous that I'd forget what I wanted to say. And actually, preparation helps. <laughs> so I'm less nervous. Um, I hope my reading is not too distracting. Because when I listen to podcasts, I don't really like to hear people just read. But anyway, this is how it goes. Also, if my internet connection freezes in the middle of my share, it should return very shortly, so hold tight. What I'm saying here today is strictly my own opinion and my own experience. And if you do not hear from me what you need to hear, there are so many others here who might have what you want and what you need to hear in this program. We all have different life experiences and different ways of working this program. One of the main reasons that I've been in this program for almost 30 years, God, really hard to believe, um, is that the only requirement here is the desire to stop eating compulsively. It doesn't say you have to stop eating compulsively and take what you want and leave the rest. That is to say, it's such an inclusive program with a huge tent that fits so many of us. So I could spend this entire 20 minutes talking about how I feel inadequate, which is really true, um, how different I am from everyone here, how I do this program differently and inadequately, et cetera, et cetera. But it's because of this program that I'm going to resist that urge to do that today. In fact, one of the slogans that I learned here, I'm not sure if it's a program slogan or just a very popular slogan amongst us, is I am enough, I do enough, I have enough. These are the very healing concepts for me. And I think for a lot of us, I am enough, just as I am with all my imperfections. I do enough. I've always felt that I was lazy and underachiever. When my sister and I were young, we shared a bedroom and sometimes we just would be sitting on our beds doing nothing. And if my mother came in, we'd both just jump up and do anything, which was better than being caught doing nothing. I have enough, I have enough food, I have enough love in my life, I have enough material comforts. My very first response to almost everything is that I can't do it. In fact, that was my first response to speaking here today, even after all these years. <clears throat> so I have to keep reminding myself that I can. What I say is enough, who I am is enough, I deserve to be here. This is a constant struggle for me. And in fact, this feeling of inadequacy that I can't is what leads me to painful procrastinations. And then always the desire to overeat as a stalling coping strategy. I always like to hear how people qualify when I listen to podcasts and shares. So to qualify, I've been maintaining about a 40 pound weight loss for many years. That might not sound like a lot to some, but I have a very small frame, so it's probably more like 60 pounds on someone with an average frame. I don't keep close track of days or months or even years, partly because of my desire to not have to be perfect, but I know that I've been fitting into the same size clothes and have been at a healthy weight for many years now. Truth be told, I probably have two sizes in my closet and I always feel I could lose another five pounds. But if it never gets any better than this, that's okay with me. It's, okay. it's good enough, it's okay. And that's progress, not perfection. 
And that is one of the most important slogans to me in this program. So I'm gonna to try to stick to the formula of what it was like, what happened, what it's like now. I'm sure I'm going to be all over the map as well. I don't know if I was born a compulsive overeater or developed that way because of my family. I'm not sure it matters. What has mattered to me is that I understand a little bit more now than I used to about what eating has done for me over the years, especially in my early years. If understanding why we eat could solve the problem, I think a lot of us would not be in this program. A good therapist would do the trick. But in fact, understanding is only a small part of the recovery. This program gives us the tools to deal with the compulsion, which requires a whole lot more than understanding. Actually, I see this program as giving us the tools and pathway to living life in a more sane, healthy, caring, and connected way. I know some of you have um, heard my story before, so I'll try not to be too repetitive. I'm an identical twin, also have an older sister, grew up in Manhattan, middle-class, liberal, mostly secular Jewish background. From a very early age, I always felt that I was second in relation to my twin sister. I was colicky, I was second born, smaller, slower, left-handed, harder to teach. When people couldn't tell us apart, my mother used to say, Lori equals left, because I was left-handed, but I always also interpreted that as left out, left behind. It almost feels that I was born with a chip on my shoulder. Interestingly enough, spending time with my sister recently, she was recalling how I could, how I could ride a bicycle so much faster than she could because I was able to stand up on those you know, one speed bikes, stand up on the pedals to go uphill so she couldn't and she couldn't and how awful she felt about that. Compare despair. That's the story of my life. Seems like others do it too. So how we feel about ourselves is not always accurate and the truth. I've come to understand that. Anyway, there are a lot of there was a lot of tension in my family due to my mother and her perfectionism, her own unhappiness, which I'm not not sure where that came from, which of course I always felt was my fault. There was a lot of tension, especially at the dinner table. So to relieve the tension, I now know that I would eat if I could sneak the food before dinner, avoiding sorry, avoiding the creaky floorboard and carefully cushioning the cookie jar top so that I wasn't hungry for dinner and I was somewhat knocked out for it. Guess what? Food works for a short period of time, that is. I never knew that then, but I know it now that it was not just that I liked food and especially sugar, but that I needed something to relieve the tension, to numb the pain. Having so-called negative feelings was not condoned in our household. In fact, it was greatly looked down on. Fear, insecurities, loneliness, sadness were all feelings that were not accepted. So I think I ate to numb those feelings as well as to relieve the feelings of tension in the household. I never felt like I was enough just who I was. There's so many examples that contributed to my feeling this way. And some of you have heard these stories, but as my mother was a perfectionist, when I came home, with an A plus on a term, my first term paper in seventh grade, my mother took the paper and marked it up in red ink and called the teacher and asked her why she gave an A plus to a paper that wasn't perfect, which led to a conference with me and my mother and this teacher whom I adored. It was humiliating as was coming home each summer to a stack of letters I had sent home from camp that were marked up with grammatical errors, et cetera. I was tested on them and had to get it right before the next school year. My stack of letters were always higher than either of my sisters, which was also really humiliating. 
guess what? Writing is not one of the tools I enjoy using today, maybe after another 10 years in program. Um, and I was pudgy, what an awful term. When my sister and I were about six years old, my parents had a friend who made commercials. So we had photo shoots taken of us for a Nabisco commercial. Reach for Nabisco. It was not exactly a successful photo shoot with two pudgy girls reaching for a box of sugary cereal. Um, and needless to say, we did not get to make that commercial. We still have the photo shoot somewhere. I wish I could find it. And we were made very aware of the reasons why we didn't get the commercial. Looks were very important in my household. And I, was all, I always felt very disapproving looks from my mother and from her mother. Guess that's where she got it from. One time coming home after having moved to California and wanting to lose weight before I went back to New York in order to see my parents, I had lost 10 pounds, which I was very proud of. And when my mother opened the door and saw me, she said, so what dear, have you totally given up? I remember then racing off to the village, which was in itself an affront and ordering tons of desserts and then coming home. I'll show her, boy, that got me far. And I wasn't the pudgiest one in grade school, but I certainly was not picked for the sports team. So eating was a major way that I self-soothed growing up. Not only did it taste good, but it was also fun back then. My sister and I and friends would buy bags of salty things and sweet things and spread them out on the bed and eat until we were sick. In fact, my sister and I used to have a name for the way we felt the next morning. Yuck, yuck, yuck. That was not the name, but that's how it felt. So I ate in good company. I think my mother was actually pretty horrified at having two pudgy kids. And my older sister also had the same eating disorders as we had, but was more private about it. So my mother got into very healthy cooking for back in the 50s and early 60s. This meant adding wheat germ to absolutely everything, having low fat margarine, skim milk, whole grain, low fat, thin sliced bread, Pam spray in a frying pan for eggs, et cetera, et cetera. I was envious of a friend whose mother made her white Wonder Bread sandwiches and mayonnaise. That was it, the best thing possible, except had I sprinkled sugar on top, that would have been even better. And if there was anything other than like graham crackers or ladyfingers in, in our house, don't get me wrong, those were pretty damn good. Those better chocolatey items were frozen in a metal container in the freezer with a handmade label saying poison on it. So my sister and I would go for the poison and then be racing around New York trying to replace it. In college, when I, where it was where I ate with my roommates, sometimes we all would eat and throw up. I continued doing that every now and then until my mid twenties with other friends after college. I remember house cleaning, three friends cleaning a huge house while eating our way through the cupboards and then throwing up in their toilets. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> That's still, that's here in Berkeley. So I, I'm not, not sure of the house, but geez, what a way to live. Luckily, I was always too afraid health-wise to throw up very often and therefore never, it was never a very effective weight loss plan for me. The next stage I think was fat as a feminist issue. I think lots of us have been there, I'm sure. So many stories of compulsive overeating, stuffing a crispy chocolate chip chocolate chip cookie in my mouth so hard to cut the sides of my mouth like painful paper cuts because a friend of mine asked me if I really wanted to eat that before we were going out for dinner. Spraining my ankle in Mexico after having just arrived and walking out of a bakery with a bag full of cookies and stepping off a curb that I missed because I was looking into the bag. 
ruined the vacation, eating off someone else's plate that was not at our table in a restaurant and being shamed all the way out the front door by the waitress. Later, I started eating secretively. I remember I started doing that when I had a really skinny boyfriend and also then a really skinny girlfriend. I remember hearing, boy, you eat like a bird. And I knew they were thinking, how come I was the size I was? Because I was getting bigger then. <laughs> so my mother died in 1994 and in 1995, I entered these rooms. I see some people that were here then. I was teaching at the time and one of my students who became a good friend of mine saw me munching away in my office and gently told me she was in this program and would I like to come with her? Actually, it's this very meeting that was my first meeting way back then. And I said, well, what do you have to do? And she said, just do one thing. I gave up sugar for 11 years, which was so helpful to me. And she also said, take what you want and leave the rest. I had a lot of difficulty with the God thing, still do, but none of that really mattered. What mattered to me is that I heard other people in these rooms talk about how they ate and how they felt about it and what they were doing now and what and what kept and that's what kept me staying. Over the years, my abstinence has changed often. The way I work this program has evolved and changed I, and will continue to, I'm sure. I've had about five different sponsors and about that many sponsees. Um, I now have an absolutely wonderful sponsor who I've worked with steps with yet again. And lo and behold, she does not have the voice of my mother. Thank God. And about as many sponsors, oh, I said that. And I use the tools in different ways than I used to use them. I've also had periods over the years of barely attending meetings or working this program mainly when I was working in, or working this program mainly when I was working in San Francisco. But for the last 10 years, I've been very regular and going to about three meetings a week. In fact, Hardly a day goes by where I'm not doing something program related, whether it's listening to the podcast, going to a meeting, talking to a fellow, talking to my sponsor, working the steps, reading literature, all of the above. My concept of a higher power is forever evolving anywhere from this, from this program and a group as my higher power to an octopus. I remember once sharing that as my higher power to all the nature and trees and cats and now dogs. When it comes down, what it comes down for me now is that connection is what I would call my higher power, which is a term I don't even really like, higher power. I'm feeling connected to nature, feeling connected to all of you, feeling connected to life. There are times when I continue to overeat, but what this program has taught me is progress, not perfection. And to beat myself up just perpetuates the disease, self-recriminations. I just know that when I get into the food, I feel disconnected, self-hatred, that incomprehensible demoralization. Terrible feeling. Disconnection is a feeling that I fight regardless, but there is no possibility of connection if I get into the food and that's the bottom line. Sanity with food is my everyday goal. Sometimes I think I don't really have an action plan, but then I realize that in fact I do. It just might not look like what I assume it should look like, but where are those shoulds coming from? Not from you, but from me. I plan my time so I get enough sleep. I make sure to walk about four to five miles a day. I evaluate my food plan at the end of the day with, did I have enough protein? Did I have enough vegetables and fruits? Did I eat basically whole non-processed foods? Did I stop when I was no longer hungry, but before I was full? That's one of my biggest triggers is feeling too full. A normal eater when feeling too full just wants to stop. And for me, it's a trigger to keep on going, major trigger. Do I stop eating early enough in the evenings so that I don't go to bed with a full stomach? 
And none of these things do I do perfectly. In fact, the only thing I've really ever done perfectly in this program is that I keep coming back. I stray, I waver, I slip, I question, and I come slip sliding back. I don't weigh myself because it's my experience, whatever I see on the scale can lead me to want to eat. If I weigh less than I expect, then I feel I can reward myself. And if I weigh more, then that's even worse for surely I get the fuckets. I'm going to eat. So I don't weigh, I don't count days of perfect acts and abstinence. I usually don't weigh and measure my food only sometimes. And I find at my age, 74, that I need to eat more often in small amounts rather than three meals a day. But this program is so much more to me than about eating. It's about community and fellowship. It's about overcoming my shyness, which I am actually very shy and accepting myself for who I am. It's also about progress, not perfection. It's about honestly looking at my role in life and how I am with others and not just pointing the finger. It's about doing a 10th step every day and making amends where needed. It's about being truthful with fellows, my sponsor, my partner. It's about feeling connection wherever I can find it and valuing that. It's about one step at a time and do the next right thing. It's about knowing that I'm here to stay. And you know what? I'm happy with that. And that's the end of my share.